6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. Jesus Christ does not challenge the ownership of the world by Satan. He has it. He has the authority. He has the dominion. He lays claim to it first and then offers it to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Now if Satan didn't own this, if this was a vain boast, Jesus could just call his bluff. Nuts to you, fellow. You don't own it. That's not what he says. Verse 8, Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus obviously does not accept the proposition but it's one of the three temptations of Jesus Christ, which implies, it supports this whole idea that Satan is the prince of this world. Okay? That's what you're up against. Yes, you're up against the flesh. And let me not minimize that. Satan is bound for a thousand years. There's enough residual evil in man to still blow it at the end of the thousand years. So the flesh is the flesh. The flesh, the world, and the devil. The world has its hold on us, or would have. The world is his instrument. He owns it. So if we stumble and fall, if we're tempted, whatever, hey, we're victims of his designs, his peculiar, bizarre ambitions to thwart God's plan and purpose for you. When did God start dealing with you? Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. God has a plan for you. He has a grand design for your life. As his desire for you to make those choices to align your life with his grand design. But he has given you sovereignty. The one that will try to, try to thwart that is, of course, your adversary, your slanderer, Satan himself. So the first thing, though, what, what John reminds us here is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is in you if you're in Christ? Jesus. Or the Holy Spirit, phrase it how you like. The point is, God is resident in you. You can't feel it. It's not, a, it's not an experiential thing. Oh, yes, there's, there's infilling experiences. I'm, 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 what I'm saying is, it's not dependent on your experience. It's dependent on the Word of God. But you have the Holy Spirit securing you in Christ. That's Paul tells us in Ephesians. So as we encounter these spooky, bizarre, weird things, remember... The greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. The more you learn about Satan, the more you'll begin to realize the power, the, per the pervasiveness of his activities. And as you get into that, it's easy to get kind of spooked and get uh, to lose your balanced perspective. And that's the secret in life anyway, isn't it? It's balance. Getting these things in proper balance. But the thing that keeps you in balance is that God himself, the creator of this original character, is uh, the creator is in you. And the battle is determined. It was won finally for good at a cross 1,900 years ago. So Jesus has title. He doesn't have possession. He will take possession when he's ready. 
and there seems to be a lot of evidence that he's getting ready. Uh, let's, as long as we've plunged ourselves into this quagmire of, of, uh, of this whole area, let's not leave this area and without going to Ephesians chapter 6. Because we've, we've opened a Pandora's box here, so to speak, by getting into this dark side, if I can use that phrase. And I'd like to commend to you two things. I'd like you to remember Ephesians 6, especially verses 11 on. It's a classical phrase in the, in the epistles of Paul where God will tell you how to deal with these issues. Furthermore, in addition to this, if those of you that are inclined to do some additional reading, I'd also like to encourage you to get a borrow or get a copy of a book called Combat Faith. Combat Faith by Hal Lindsey. It's a very practical field manual for the combat that all of us are in and will continue to be in. But uh, the, the core ideas are right here in Ephesians 6, verse starting, we'll pick it up about verse 11. Well, let's pick it up verse 10. Finally, my brethren, that's a misleading word. Often Paul will say, finally, my brethren, and go on for three or four more chapters. But in this case, he does start to wrap it up. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Incidentally, that's not an option. That's a commandment. You are commanded to be strong, to be bold, to know your ground. You can't do that unless you've done your homework. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's encouraging, yet there's also pitfalls. It doesn't say be, be strong and powerful. He says, be strong in the Lord and, the, and in the power of His might. Satan will love to get you to undertake something in your own strength. If he succeeds at getting you to do that, he's won. At least the, he may not have won the war, he may have won the tactical battle. The Lord has ensured the outcome of the war. We just like to get through the battle with as few bruises as possible. In the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is bright. He's crafty. He's the ultimate ch chicanery artist. And he will do all kinds of things to confuse you, trap you, get you to stumble. How do you fight that? Not with one little trick, with the whole armor. Great, what's the armor? Now, well, I'll come back to that. Let's, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And this is really tough for the guys here. You girls can probably appreciate this, but the guys especially. They would love to draw swords and go for it. If I gave you the opportunity right now to die for Jesus Christ, most of you guys would be up that aisle and go for it. That's the easy thing. How about living for Christ? Oh, that's tough. One grand heroic would be super. Let's get it over with and get my rewards and let's get on with the show. The nature of the masculine th being is to draw that sword and go for it. Right? Huh? But that's not the problem, guys. It isn't that macho thing. Wouldn't it be neat if it was? We'd know how to train for it. We'd be up for it. Yeah, maybe I'm, I think I'm speaking for all you guys. I happen to be a graduate you know, of, a, of a school that the Russians call a, a school for assassins. 
they often run articles about West Point and Annapolis and, and call us all kinds of things that are intended to sell us. Actually, makes us feel pretty important. Um, <laughs> but you know, you have four years of hand to hand. You get trained in in the in all the related sciences to to a professional career, and and you sort of get oriented. Hey, you want? Let's go for it. You know. But that's not what it's all about, guys. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Boy, it would be easy if we did. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. By the way, powers and so forth. Those are ranks. Those are ranks of angels. The angels on, if I can use the expression, the dark side. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Oh boy. That's scary. Because it's like trying to find a, you know, fight a phantom or something. I'm reminded of a what I think was really actually a pretty crummy movie, but it had an interesting point. I don't know if you, was it The Golden Boy, I think, that was a, a screwy movie. It had to do with some, uh, the plot line was pretty dumb, but there's a point in there where um, the hero knew from a prophecy that he'd win. And he's fighting these spooks and phantoms. And it was a crummy movie with crummy effects. But the idea that really came home that I thought was profound is that as he encountered these horrible, weird special effects, he knew from a prophecy that he was following that he would win. And when he realized that, he suddenly got all of, he, did, he lost all his fear. Because no matter how terrifying these things were, he knew he was going to win. And of course he did, because that was the whole thing. But I, I remember, what an interest! it was kind of a stupid movie, but that thought hit me because... Um, I mean, it happened to be badly done, but, um, but what hit me was, that's the position you and I have. We know the end. He told us. He knows the end from the beginning, and the victory is ours. Boy, if we know that, it may not stem some of the loss of blood, but you know who's going to win. And you can take courage in that. In any case, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. It says it a second time, right? In the mouth of two witnesses, so to speak. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, with which ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Glib phrases, aren't they? Eloquent. We've heard this a lot. What does this really mean? Stand there for having your loins girded about with truth. Well, you say, gee, here's Paul, chained to a Roman soldier. And the usual image that's presented is that Paul is standing there chained to this. He's writing, and, and the soldier is chained to him to guard him. And I'm always amused by that because the, you know, the, the, that was Paul's point. Paul's point of view is the soldier couldn't get away. He got witness to. See? But... Um, <laughs> I don't know who really wanted to get away from who in that situation. But in any case, and as Paul looks at this soldier, he, one can assume that he's drawing an analogy. He's getting across his points, but he's using the idioms of the armor of this Roman soldier. And I've heard it presented that way many, many times, but I have a problem with that, because actually, uh, you might turn with me to Isaiah 59. Okay. So many, many hundreds of years before Rome was even a gleam in someone's eye, I think, 
If we get to uh, Isaiah 59, you'll discover the Holy Spirit. In verse 17 of Isaiah 59, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks of, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon His head and put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, oh boy, and was clad with zeal as a cloak, and on He goes. No big deal. I'm just, the only reason I bring it up is, is to recognize it's not just a... It's not, in my opinion, it's not just a convenient idiom that Paul happens to use rhetorically. I think there's more profound connotation behind these terms that he's using. Having said that, let's look at him again. Take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth. How do you go about girding your loins with truth? Doing exactly what you're doing tonight. The thing that's going to protect you is the Word of God. Where do you get truth? Right here. A little verse, a chapter? No, the whole council. You want to get ready for this warfare, friends? you got to get command of the Word of God, cover to cover. This is your truth, the Word of God. Also, more specifically, the person of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so on, as Christ mandated. Your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness... That's a little simpler, perhaps. More complicated in one sense. What righteousness are you talking about? Yours? No way. It would be puny against what you'll have to stand against. Whose righteousness do you gird yourself with? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's yours for the asking. The righteousness of Jesus Christ will shield and protect you if you're in Him having on the breastplate of righteousness. You've got to deal with it. You've got to remember how to apply the Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1, 9, right? 1 John is a powerful guide in all these things. The Christian's bar of soap is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you get the righteousness of Christ? By confessing your sins. Once and for all, no. <laughs> moment by moment, in my case at least. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you're going to run a race, you've got to have the right footwear, right? Well, what kind of race are you going to run? What kind of footwear are you going to wear? The preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace? No. The preparation of the gospel of peace. That's also what you're doing tonight. You're getting yourselves equipped. Oh, it's fun to come to these studies and we try to waltz out a few things that may, may have been overlooked and it's kind of fun to get together. Hey, the real point is to learn the, the Word of God. That's all called preparation for the race that you're going to run. And from here we could talk about putting shoe leather to your faith. It's one thing to sit here and nod in agreement and take notes and take them home and put them safely in your study. That's great. Hey, the day comes. It's time to put the shoe leather on and move out, guys. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. Oh, that's the part that's hairy. You know you're in the mainstream of things when your faith is being tested. When your faith is being tested. In Hal's book, The Combat Faith, one of his major topics is cracking the faith barrier. All of us, if we're growing in Him, 
are going to have your faith stretched. And the first time that your faith is tested and you perform properly, expect things to get worse. Yes. Because the Lord is going to say, do you really trust me? I remember when I was in flight training the Air Force, uh, one of the things, of course, you do is spin recovery. And uh, uh, when, the, when you get the plane no, no longer flying, it stalls. If it stalls in a turn, you've got what they call a spin. And the whole routine, of course, is to get the plane flying again. That is, you, while you're spinning, you put the stick forward to regain airspeed, to get flying again, and then recover from the spin and come out. And it's pretty straightforward in most aircraft. There's one aircraft that we were flying that had the natural characteristic that if you did the procedure properly, you're in the spin, and you look out the canopy, and you pick an object on the, on the horizon to count your turns as you're going around. And when you do the proper procedure, <laughs> the plane had the characteristic of doing another turn and a half tighter before it comes out. A little disconcerting to a student pilot to uh, have the thing get worse before, in other words, you'd apply the pre procedure properly, but the symptom gets worse before it gets better as part of the peculiar idiosyncrasies of that particular aircraft. And I've often thought about that as I, as I uh, talk about the faith barrier, because God will often do that. You can study Moses' life. <laughs> and, um, you know, God calls him to be a deliverer, you know, and, and he starts taking things on, and he blows it. And he spends, what, 40 years in the backside of the desert. I mean, you know, if you look at Moses' life, you discover that when he, uh, God stretches him, stretches his faith. I think all of us, as I'm talking here, are probably running through our own minds and our own life. How when God stretches you and puts you in a position where God says, okay, do you really trust me? And you, you do that which implies you do, and it goes from bad to worse. You know, one lawsuit becomes seven. You know, you've lost your entire balance sheet, they foreclosed your home, and you say, God, I trust you. And then it really starts. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Why? Because it's that with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Because the name of the game is not today, tomorrow, what we're doing right now. The name of the game is that eternal destiny in which God only knows the outcome, knows what, what, how this is all fitting together. And I won't give you any glib platitudes because, I mean, each one of you may be having trials that make no sense at all right now in our perspective. Who only knows the end from the beginning? God does. What he'll be asking you in effect is, do you really trust me? Do you really trust me? I've studied the Bible for 40 years. I've taught it for 20. Most of those years, I've had, uh, I, I've just fallen into it. I've been in the right place at the right time. Had a very, had a, a multi-million dollar balance sheet. So I could talk a good game. But I always had the comfort of some assets behind me. So I could, I could zig and zag and move and whatever and, and uh, no sweat. And it also came easy. So if I lost it, I could always get it back. It's interesting how God, before I could really serve God in the ministry, God had to strip that all away. Why? Because the assets got in the way? Not really. That isn't it. He wants me to trust him. He's my balance sheet. I won't tell you my... If I was broke, I would be several million dollars ahead of where I am right now. I wish I was zero. I'd be in great shape. No, God, see, before he can really use us, he puts us in a position where we really trust him. Moment to moment, day by day, one day at a time. Take the shield of faith with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's interesting, it isn't until we really let go of the world that God can really use us. And with all my training and all my glib cliches, it took 
some recent events to, to get my attention, to put me where God really wants me. And I'm, I, as I say that, I'm not trying to be self-centered. I'm just I'm saying it in the spirit that I suspect my story has a thousand different variations, several thousand different variations in this room. It may not be finances. It may be something else. Maybe positional. Maybe all kinds. You can make a list of the kind, the character, the different things that God might be using to stretch this. But where you're going through a trial, praise God because He's given you a chance to strengthen your faith. No pain, no gain, guys. And take the helmet of salvation. Oh boy, that's the thing that protects you. You are in Christ, you are saved. That's the real issue. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, so uh, back to Isaiah. I knew you thought I'd never return. We've, we've taken the verses that have... This is a classical passage in the Bible, Isaiah 14, dealing with the origin of Lucifer. And I've used the occasion to wander a little bit to give a little more substance to this. We will be encountering more of this kind of thing later in Isaiah. Uh, nothing quite as grim as tonight, I trust. I regard this as tough material because it's, it's real, it's threatening, and yet it's really what it's all about. When we get together next time, we'll sweep through the next several chapters where uh, Isaiah essentially, uh, God through Isaiah, deals with the Gentile nations around Israel. Uh, there's going to be some interesting surprises there. In fact, just so you don't get too heavy tonight, let me give you a couple of glimpses ahead. Uh, we're going to have some fun next time. We'll be getting at least into chapter 18, which most of your study Bible says is, has to do with Ethiopia. I'm going to show you why it has nothing to, in my opinion, has nothing to do with Ethiopia. It's one of the strangest passages in the Scripture, and we'll look at why many scholars believe it refers to the United States. If the United States appears in the Bible at all, it very well could be Isaiah 18. But more interesting than that, when we get to Isaiah 19, we're really going to come off the wall. Uh, you can't get into a Chuck Mr. Bible study without really getting off the wall somewhere. In Isaiah 19, we'll examine, of course, the Aswan Dam and the bizarre predictions, how Isaiah talks about the ecological disaster that will come about by applying man's engineering to an ecological problem. But more than that, there's a strange verse in Isaiah that many people believe refers to the Great Pyramid at Giza. The more you learn about the Great Pyramid at Giza, the more mysteries that surface. If we tried to build it today using the best laser alignment we could possibly have in our technology, we could probably put it no more accurately than it sits right now today, doing some very strange things. And, and, and if the conjectures are correct, it might possibly be a, have an end-time role, as, as alluded to in Isaiah chapter 19. Well, let's stand, though, for a closing prayer. We've been through some difficult material tonight, but it's important. It's important to recognize the reality of what we're up against. It's also important for us not, on the one hand, not to disregard it. On the other hand, not to excessively tremble before it. What it emphasizes, what it underscores, is what we're really up against. Your lives, your destiny, hang in your availing yourself of the spiritual tools that are here in your lap in the Word of God. And all of these things, your defense against these things, is the Word of God. Not what Chuck Missler tells you, 
or Chuck Smith or Hal Lindsey or any other particular teacher. It's what the Word of God says. And your protection against false teaching, your protection against heresies, is to know the Word, the whole counsel of God. Praise God that you're in a congregation where the pastor takes you from cover to cover, verse by verse, through the whole counsel of God, not a check verse here or there. Your challenge, by Chuck Missler at least, is to learn this Word end to end. Read it devotionally every day, fantastic, praise God. But I want you to take on, consider taking on another challenge. To make a personal commitment to master, if I can use that word, master this book. These 66 books by 40 authors. Book by book. Next time you're in the mood to blow 10 bucks or 15 bucks, stop by a Christian bookstore and pick up a commentary in a book that sort of strikes you. Whichever. John or Genesis or whatever. Pick one. Learn it, and then move on to the next one. One by one, knock them off. That's the way you will arm yourself. That's the way you'll build the weaponry for the battle that's ahead. Let's bow our hearts. Oh, Father, we, we just thank you for caring for us so much as to bring us together at this moment in time and to show us these things which you've put here for our awareness, for our admonition, Father, we just thank you that you have alerted us to the forces that are arrayed against us. But more than that, Father, we just thank you that you have already anticipated our needs in Jesus Christ, that you have already fought and won the battle for us, that the ultimate victory is indeed ours in Christ. We would ask you, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would just put a hedge about us as we go forward, shield and protect us, make us aware of what we are up against. Give us an increased appetite for your word, that we might just commit ourselves to all that you have put before us. Father, we ask these things, that we might grow in grace the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that we might indeed be strengthened, that we indeed can be strong in His power, with whom we have to do, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.